Job 18, Job chapter 18, we find here, it says for us in the text, and then answered Bildad the Shuhite, and said, How long will it be ere you make an end of words? Mark, and afterwards we will speak. Wherefore are we counted as beasts and reputed vile in your sight? He teareth himself in his anger. Shall the earth be forsaken for thee? And shall the rock be removed out of his place? Yea, the light of the wicked shall not be put out, and the spark of his fire, or shall be put out, I'm sorry, and the spark of his fire shall not shine. The light shall be dark in his tabernacle, and the candle shall be put out with him. Remember Hebrew poetry, repeating the same thing over just a different direction, different way. The steps of his strength shall be straightened, and his own counsel shall cast him down. For he is cast into a net by his own feet, and he walketh upon a snare. The gin or trap shall take him by the heel, and the robber shall prevail against him. The snare is laid for him in the ground, and a trap for him in the way. Terrors shall make him afraid on every side, and he shall drive him to his feet. <laughs> He strength, strength shall be hunger bitten, and destruction shall be ready at his side. It shall devour the strength of his skin. Even the firstborn of death shall devour his strength. His confidence shall be rooted out of his tabernacle, and it shall bring him to the king of terrors. Discouraging words for Mr. Job. Let's pray together. Heavenly Fathers, look into your word. May we be encouraged. May we examine our own lives. May we uh, see that you still have a plan. And even though difficult times come, you allow them to us so that we will be shown on the other side to be people of faith. A faith that cannot be tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. So Lord, may we look to you. May we not try to do it on our own. We cannot. May you give us strength through the difficult times. And may we encourage others who are going through their difficult times. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Uh, we find uh, interesting, I have a new book on Job called uh, The Gospel According to Job by Mike Mason. And he makes these, these regard, comments regarding Bildad. Bildad is the epitome of the clever, articulate, authoritative, and virtually loveless Christian leader today. Crowds of people may hang on every word of a man like this, thinking they are being mightily fed and then go away with their spirits parched as dust. And so this is Bildad's second assault on Job. Job has just spoken for a couple of chapters. Bildad and Eliphaz and uh, Elihu coming on a little bit later. And Zophar, so far, are his friends, if you would, who are just now, he's going to really lay Job out again. We don't see, if you look back at eight, chapter 8, verse 2, we don't see this in 18. In 8.2, he said, Bildad, how long wilt thou speak these things, and how long shall the words of thy mouth be as a strong wind? So he, has, he is going to let Job have it again. Earlier on, he was a little bit positive and tried to give some encouragement. Now, in chapter 18, we come to that point in time, he's not going to be so much like that. Uh, Talbert says these words, After the customary retaliatory insults, Bildad then has agitated and he speaks again. It's sort of like uh, the, you've heard at the time, boy, it's like a, a little bit louder, a little bit worse. That's what this is, chapter 18. They get stronger. They get agitated with Job. Why are they agitated with Job? Because he won't repent and get right. And they're just sure that Job has sinned and done wrong. And so Job needs to get right with God. And he won't do that. Because the snag and the problem is this Job doesn't need to get right. He was right when he started. He's right now. It's like, you know, a snag when you're fishing is a very bad thing. A snag because you lose your lure or whatever. I get snags all the time when I was fishing and fishing, whatever. 
a snag for Bildad's theology is Job doesn't need to repent. So really, he's like he's saying in verse 2, How long will it be ere you make an end of works? Mark it afterwards we will speak. Is God going to hold his breath, Mr. Job, while you get things straightened out? Don't think so. That seems to be the implication of these sarcastic remarks. It's like George Bernard Shaw said one time that the average conversation, he compared it to a phonograph with only a few dozen albums or half dozen albums. You soon weary of hearing the same thing over and over. I don't know whether there were 78s or 33s, but that's the idea. The same thing over and over and over again. We do know, is it records coming back a little while? Maybe a little bit records are coming back? Okay, all right. How long, Joe? How long? And build that seems in the... This wearisome repetition of monotonous words. That's what he thinks Job is giving. Clearly the man is no longer interested in Job's pain. He wants Job to be quiet and admit he's sinful and to get right with God. That's, he's got a very quick three-step program, not 12 or 10. Three-step program, admit you're wrong, be quiet, admit, get right. I remember Dick Riley said one time, he goes, Pastor Tim, he said, I've got, I've got two words, four words for biblical counseling. Or something like that. If you're wrong, get right. That's all I tell people. When I have biblical counsel, if you're wrong, get right. I was again to know Dick Riley to, to know that he's up in heaven. I guess getting everybody's lined up up there. So, but look at verse 18. It's sort of a summary of verse 21, 18, 21. Sort of a summary of Mr. Bildad's account here. Surely such are the dwellings of the wicked, and this is the place of him that knoweth not God. Now, do you see what he's sort of not even just insinuating about Mr. Job? Surely are the dwellings of the wicked, and this is the place of him that knoweth not God. Are you, Job? Are you, Job? You, who you just don't know God because you're not doing right. Interesting, back over in verse 2 now, we find in this, this double meaning's apparent. Look how he says, look at the, and by the way, words are important. Pronouns are important. How long will it be ere ye, plural, make an end of words? Mark, and afterwards we will speak. Wherefore are we counted as beasts and reputed vile in your sight? It's not just the singular Mr. Job. It's he's lumped them in with who? The wicked people. Peter's to be grouping them, it seems, the wicked people. How long will it be before your wicked people end your speeches? Feasible explanations about this plural used here by the Holy Spirit is that there are some grounds for assuming the plural was used at times in direct address even to one person. Supposedly, then, you could use plural. Now, today, we have, there's this big movement afoot by those who want to change the language to, how do, what's your pronoun? Well, I'm going to be the same pronoun I was when I was born. I'm going to be the same pronoun until I die. But they, they are going, it doesn't even make grammatical sense. Of course, a lot of things today don't make sense normally that people are pushing for their ideology. But here, specifically, the Holy Spirit used that. We find then that Bildad uses the plural. It seems to be, we'll just sum it up by this, seems to be putting in Job with the wicked. Indignant of Job's dismissals of all their studied wisdom, Bildad displays an impatience of wounded pride. And by this time, we really have our antipathy, our antipathy, uh, our anger is at the three friends, and our sympathy would lie with Job, obviously. However, there is a real sense, and Job has somewhat asked for this, the derogatory remarks. Why would you say that? Well, look with me back at 12.2. Job has been a little bit caustic with his remarks. Job chapter 12, verse 2. Mr. Burns' brother came in, which I knew from the bank. I can't even remember his first name, but 
Larry's first brother. Anyway, he said something very first thing about something about not having a hair on my head or still don't have hair on my head or something like that. So we just got off to the right footing there. Caustic remarks. I, I'm just, I don't really care about hair. No doubt, but ye are the people. I care about hair. I just don't care that I don't have it that much. I just give up on it. No doubt, but ye are the people, Job says, and wisdom shall die with you. 13 verse 4. But ye are forgers of lies. Ye are all physicians of no value. Oh, that ye would altogether hold your peace, and it should be your wisdom. Just keep quiet. You'll be good. 16 2. These are all Job's words. I've heard many such things. Miserable comforts are ye all. Shall vain words have an end? Or what in boldness thee that thou answerest? And 17, Job chapter 17, verse 10. But as for you all, do you do return and come now, for I cannot find one wise man among you. So Job has been a little bit free with his barbs. By the way, had you and I been in Job's situation, we'd probably been a whole lot freer and probably could not print the ones that we would have said or thought. Bildad, back over here, picks up on Job's words. Now we're back to Job 18, verse 4. Job 18, 4. He teareth himself in his anger. Shall the earth be forsaken for thee, and shall the rock be removed out of his place? Not God tearing you, Job. They're self-inflicted. He teareth himself. Bildad and the other two, and then Elihu, are on one side. Job is on the other, and God is the one who we need to exalt. And he said, but now, Job, you just... They're just a disconnect. They have a limited idea of what who God is. Don't you think we find Christianity times, sometimes worshiping the God we think is in the Bible instead of the God of the Bible? Yeah. It's the God who we think He should be. Yeah. He should be a God of love. Think with me now. If God wanted everybody healthy, every Christian healthy, could He not heal every single human being, Christian, of every single ailment. Could he not? Yes. yes. So what's the correlative? That's a word. Corollary. That he does not want everybody healthy. He has a purpose for your hip ailment. For your back severe pain. For all other diseases many of you have. That you deal with all the time. IBS. Uh, these things. Uh, autoimmune disease. My daughter suffers with that every day. He has... He has he allows them into our lives for a purpose. If he wanted you healed, he could have done that. Amen. We'll do that. He wanted you that way. Amen. Man, man wants to, uh, interesting here that it's sort of, he says Job, Job's wounds are self-inflicted. Does the world revolve around Job? Or must heaven and earth move for him? Verse 4. Shall the rock be removed out of its place? He teareth himself in anger. Shall the earth be forsaken for thee? Uh, Talbert says, Man once supposed the earth was the center of everything, a myth nurtured by man-centered theology and of the religious establishment. Can I just say, Gaianism, which we'll probably look at if we look at a message or two on uh, climate change from a biblical standpoint. Gaianism, you can read it for yourself, just read it this morning, God.org, believes that the earth is an entity. Matter of fact, it has a capital H for her. And they are, we are just casualties, if you would, on the earth. And we so destroy the earth that the earth is going to retaliate soon if we don't do something. And they are committed to having the earth being the center of everything. God's the center of everything. Can I just say that? God's the center of everything. The world does not revolve around us, you, me, or Job. Job didn't think that, by the way. 
Life and reality are God-centered. Everyone's life revolves around some consistent center of gravity. If God is not at the center of your orbit, your life is really out of alignment and perhaps in the wrong galaxy. I like that. If we are not orbiting ourselves around God, we are out of alignment. And if we're not doing that, we may even be in a different galaxy far, far away. Uh, sorry, Star Wars. <laughs> we may be there. Bildad accuses Job of being so self-absorbed, he's suffering from the life of a world egocentric. He's pulling himself in. And by the way, that would be very easy to do. If you are suffering from a severe illness, it would be very easy to atrophy your feelings into, it's me. And I am the only one. And I'm going to do everything that comes my way in light of this. So this past week, I was working on the budget for the Dale budget, Department of Aging and Independent Living for our district. And everything that came, I had to do. Well, in light of the fact, I've got to get this done by Friday. You're put on the shelf, or you're put on the side, or you're going to wait till next week, or I can't answer that. I don't phone calls. And I said, I've gotten maybe three calls my entire time there. I love it. But, we, but they were fine. That's what we should be. We should be centered on in light of this. We're going to lay those things aside. Is that sort of biblical? Hmm, let's lay aside every weight with the sin which does so easily beset us and let us run with patience the races that before us. So we're laying aside things that are good, perhaps, but they're not the best. Is what you're doing drawing you close to God? Closer to God? Is what you're doing on a day-by-day basis drawing you closer to Him? So is this charge that Job feels sometimes the life revolves around him, is it, is it valid? Well, in some ways we might think so. At the end of the third cycle, it says in Job 27.1, Moreover, Job continued his parable and goes on for 145 more verses. So Job does talk a lot, if you would, or writes a lot. Matter of fact, God says in chapter 40, verse 8, Wilt thou also disannul my judgment? Wilt thou condemn me that thou mayest be righteous? Job, is everything circling around you? This egocentricity, is it all about you, Mr. Job, is it? We know it's not. But it's a temptation. If you're going through a rough time and struggling, and a lot of us have so many difficult things we're going through, if we simply say, it's all about me, that's not how it should be. I want to get back to my, the cats who are still in my house. Uh, they, when it's feeding time at the zoo, they are up there, and they are all three in the bathroom, all waiting for, uh, why'd you feed them in the bathroom? It's just the way it started, this way it goes on, and there we are. So they're in the bathroom, they're coming feeding. And they're waiting for their, and they're all about their stomach. I, t- I told the one cat, IT, you're just, you live for your stomach. Your stomach controls all that you do. And if he could speak, he'd say, yeah, you're one to talk, Tim. If he could do it, I'm glad they can't talk. And they said, if, they could, if they could talk, well, it'd be something. Let's just move right along. But the temptation is, it can threaten us, the difficult times, and we see nothing but the t- thing we're going through. Job, again, a black hole. You might get sucked into the black hole of, wow, I'm suffering through this. Job, by the way, again, if Job, anybody had an opportunity or a right to do it, it'd be Job. Such suffering. So the way Bill Dad thinks is this. God is just and fair. God not only punishes the wicked, he blesses the righteous. If you repent, Job, God will bless you and relieve you of your affliction. If you do not repent, he will keep judging you, and your pain will continue. Repent, Job. That's the summary of what Bill, Ed, and the other two really sort of think. Again, with the snag we mentioned earlier, we're still hung up on that snag. Job 
is not in need of repenting. He's done nothing wrong. Matter of fact, he's lived more Christ-like than almost anybody else on earth at that point in time, I would say, from the Scripture. Christ-like man, offering sacrifices for his children that they would stay right with God. Everything is black and white to old Mr. Bildad in his theology. If you obey, you'll be blessed. Those in God's will enjoy great prosperity and good health. But if you suffer, you're out of God's will. God wants everybody to be well. That's the wrong mindset. He doesn't want everybody to be well. How do we know? Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12, please. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We find that Mr. Paul, if there's anyone who God would probably want to heal of problems, it would be Mr. Paul. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. All right, God is running the show. He allows sickness for His purposes. He permits pain. And sometimes it's clearly revealed why He allowed this to happen. Sometimes it is not. Sometimes we have to wait to heaven for our answers, I believe. If we pray for healing of an individual and a healing does not occur, we are not to conclude that it's his or her's fault. It's, well, if you had enough faith, Pastor, that would be done. Baloney on that. That's not biblical. I think it takes more faith to keep serving Him and not be healed. That's where your faith comes. Forsaking all, I trust Him. Faith. Or I take Him. So it's going to require more faith on your part to have poor health or have this financial crisis or job crisis or whatever it is, relational crisis, and still keep trusting. Paul said that's three times. He got three no's. No, no, and no. Paul not only stopped praying for relief, he accepted God's firm no as final. Twelve Nine, 2 Corinthians, and he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Verse 10, Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, and reproaches, and necessities, and persecutions, and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Then am I strong. Why is he strong? Because you're trusting the Lord. That is it. You can't witness on your own. You can't live for God on your own. Christ liveth in me. Oh, what a oh, what a foundation is Christ liveth in me. He does live in us. And when we allow Him to live His life through us, we can bless others. What a magnificent response from Paul. In persecutions, distresses, first all these different things, I'm going to continue to trust Christ. But Bildad left no room for mystery. What was on Bildad's mind? Something like this. If it's clear to us that there is a secret sin somewhere in your life, Mr. Job, if we press the issue long enough, you will finally admit it. I think the only thing Job wrestled with now is how to silently get rid of these guys illegally. That's probably what he's thinking about now, what he's wrestling with. Go back to our text in 1814, or uh, chapter 18 of Job. What a carried counselor. Look what he says in 1814. Mr., Mr. Bildad says to Job, his confidence shall be rooted out of his tabernacle, and it shall bring him to the king of terrors. Now, poetic, allegorical, whatever you want to call it, it's bad news. Talks about death. Job will bring you to the king of terrors. What a comforting words those are. And as we close out, four T's. This is where we give you a little outline if you want to put an outline on this chapter. Four T's. Starting verse 5. A light is going out. Trampled. Verse 5. Yes, the light of the wicked shall be put out, and his spark of his face. 
shall not shine. Let's try to read. And yet the light of the wicked shall be put out, and the spark of his fire shall not shine. The light shall be dark in his tabernacle, and his candle shall be put out with him. His compassionate appeals for Job has sort of gone by the wayside now. He's gotten tired of Job not surrendering and repenting. He's preoccupied with impressing upon Job uh, the unmixed and the, 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 the he's incapable of understanding what's really going on, it seems. He doesn't understand the misery of wicked. He assumes that Job has to be wicked to be in such misery. Anderson says, it's frequently pointed out that while Eliphaz emphasizes the mental worries of the wicked, Bildad focuses on the outward troubles. He says the distinction is a little overplayed. Eliphaz makes only one clear reference to the mental, emotional experience of the wicked, and so does Bildad. Bildad's concern was to establish in Job's mind, he says, the absolute certainty that every wicked man gets paid in full in this life for his wicked deeds. That's not much of a encouraging counselor. If I come to you and ask you some question, how to solve, if I ask Mr. Wobbeck how to get my crops fixed or to fix my corn or beans or tomatoes, I don't want him to say, you know, Pastor, you're just a terrible gardener. I just throw it in and just put up your hoe and don't don't, don't our garden anymore. I want him, here's what you need to do. I remember Mrs., the late Mrs. Spence, and she would, and she said, no, what you got to do? She ground up bone and put it in, the, in her garden. She had all these different things, and she was a really good gardener. She had all these different things. I can't remember all she did. I just know the beans grew when it put them in her, in her garden spot. They grew pretty well. Finally, Bill Dad sketches, sketches out the snuffing out of the light of the wicked. He's not merely mimicking Eliphaz. I think he's exploiting Job's words. And what's he really insinuating? Well, Mr. Job, you're getting ready for that termination, if you would. The trampled light goes out. Second T is trapped, heading for death. An implication that implying Job has a scheme he's not willing to admit. He's not confessing it. Notice the words starting in 7. The steps of his strength shall be straightened, and his own counsel shall cast him down. For he is cast into a net by his own feet, and he walketh upon a snare. The gin, which is a trap, snare, shall take him by the heel, and the robber shall prevail against him. The snare is laid for him in the ground, and a trap for him in the way. Job has succumbed to all these things. He's been trapped, perhaps by his own words, perhaps by his own theology, but certainly by his own wickedness. That's the mindset, I believe, here. So he's been trampled, he's been trapped, and the third T for us is he has been terrified, starting in verse 11. Terrors shall make him afraid on every side, and shall drive him to his feet. His strength shall be hunger-bitten, that word, hunger-bitten, and the destruction shall be ready at his side. It shall devour the strength of his skin. Even the firstborn of death shall devour his strength. His confidence shall be rooted out of his tabernacle, and it shall bring him to the king of terrors. Now, that king of terrors is probably... Pretty uh, clear word, king of terrors, death, if you would. Job stands as a man. It's sort of like Job is, uh, if you've ever seen, they have those shows like at a circus or something, and they have the guy standing here like this, and they have a knife thrower who's blinded. Uh, or has, maybe you can see, I hope he sees with that cloth. And he's throwing these knives, and the guy's going around, around, around like that. And the knife is right here, right beside him. And then he throws another one, he's right over here. I would never want to be the person getting thrown at. And by the time he's got out, it's all these knives show where his body was. Sort of what the guy, Bildad's doing now, he's throwing these knives at Joe, all these different barbs, etc. And when it comes out and the person's off the, the spinning wheel, I look just like Joe. And that's what he's, he's, he's the mark 
He's the unwilling assistant of a knife thrower. Chosen with care and honed to a personal edge, Bildad's blades continually strike within a hair's breadth of Job. By the end of his speech, the silhouette outlined by the daggers, Talbert very uh, poetically says, is unmistakably Job's. I found this, I'm not sure where the source is. It is not Job's wickedness, but his faithfulness that the Lord is disclosing through this ordeal. In fact, there may be nothing our God wants more than to bring each one of us to the point where he can do with us exactly what he did with Job. Hand us over with perfect confidence into the clutches of Satan, knowing that even then our faith will hold. Oh, that's a fearful thing. That God is going to turn us over to the clutches of Satan so that our faith can be proved to be true. Pastor, you just, I remember you said earlier today, a faith that cannot be tested, cannot be trusted. I did say that, didn't I? Makes you wonder what's going to happen in your life this week, doesn't it, Pastor? It does. We find that 15 brimstone shall be scattered upon his habitation. Is Bildad saying that that's where Job's going to fire and brimstone? Is Job terrified? In verse 11, it says, For terrors shall make him afraid on every side. And he's going to go to the king of terrors in 14. Insinuations are relatively subtle. Some are more pointed. Bildad notes the wicked suffer from skin-devouring diseases. Oh, oh, Job fits that. And this is not the first time Bildad's callously rubbed salt in the chief wound of his dead children. How callous is that? Verse 19. He shall neither have son nor nephew among his people, nor any remaining in his dwellings. We read, and we forget Job's lost ten children. Yeah. Ten. And by thinking the parents should never have to bury the child, but it happens. I know it happens a lot. But Job had to bury ten. One day, all ten. Can you imagine how much he and his wife have suffered? And he has the callousness he shall neither have son nor nephew amongst. I I, they came with good. They came with good uh, reason back in chapter three. The three friends. I'm telling you, by this chapter, just they've lost that. They lost their goodness, if you would. Terminated is last T. Trampled, trapped, terrified. Terminated. Sixteen portrays Job as an uprooted tree. As we close up. His roots shall be dried up beneath him and beneath, and above shall be his branch shall be cut off, his remembrance shall perish from the earth, and he shall have no name in the street. He shall be driven from light into darkness and chased out of the world. He shall neither have son nor nephew among the people, nor any remaining of in his dwellings. They that come after him shall be astonished, astonished at his day, as they that went before him affrightened. Surely such are the dwellings of the wicked, and this is the place of him that knoweth. Not God. I'm telling it, Job would just, you know, can, can I just say, I, people were, I, I was walking with God. I, I was doing the right thing. I helped people. I, I did so much even for my own family. And you're accusing me of, they're going to be astonished at his day as they had went before were frightened. Job was the helper of people. He was not this rude person. I, I just want to, so we understand why Job responds we would respond. It's really Bill that's sort of firing both barrels at blank range. 
He sits there with Job, itching, Job's itching madly, fever intensifying, his head shaved, his dirty and hot and enduring pain, excruciating level. And standing over him is a man who uh, has audacity, audacity to dress him down for things that weren't even true, as if Job does not even know God. Now why? Why would the Lord allow this scene again in the Word of God at risk of maybe repeating from past messages because the spirit of Bildad still lives and it surfaces in harsh, harsh judgmental actions all the time, it seems. A partner, who, a marital partner who cannot offer a word of encouragement or affirmation or perhaps the, the loss of a, of, of a job or the, from a boss who criticizes unnecessarily or incessantly. Perhaps a preacher from the pulpit who hammers and beats and abuses the sheep. A, scene, a harsh, perhaps a harsh, impatient nurse who does not care for the current uh, patient in the bed in order to get somebody else in there to, get to keep the money flowing. But it could be all different ways. That spirit still lives. Imagine Bill Dad sweeping his hands around as he says, verse 14, Surely such are the dwellings of the wicked... And this is the place of him that knoweth not God. Just look here. Look, just look at the dump. Look, look, look at the ashes you're sitting in. Surely this is the dwelling place of the wicked and those that know not God. So if you're, draw, if you're connecting the dots, what's he saying? No, Mr. Job, you're not right with God. Do you even know God? I want to ask Bill, Dad, do you know God? That's what we want to say by this point in time. Do you know the God? I think the God that you think you're worshiping is different than the one you think he is. His catalog of the plight, similar to Job 1 and 2. But the point is missed. Bill does, he catalogs the plight of Job. But the point is missed. The sermon is a wide of the mark, his is. It might take effect in a man who had a bad conscience, but this, for all their efforts to develop one, is not what Job has. Bildad has turned a deaf ear to all Job's protests, as Anderson of innocence, and he that firmly concluded from Job's unwillingness to repent that he must then have a lot of repenting to do. So you're not going to repent? Well, obviously he does something wrong. Because just the way you're acting, you're not going to repent. Well, surely, if you were truly repent, you'd repent. Two glaring errors, and we'll pray. Firstly, talking to the wrong person. Bildad says things about death, about the, the haunting of terrors. If you're speaking to an absolutely unsaved audience, yes. As I said this morning, there's, there's a, a, a hell to shun. It's those exact words, but there, heaven is real, and hell is just as real. If you don't receive Christ as Savior, you're going to go there. Sadly, there is a way which seemeth right unto man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. This, the, the Gaian creed, Gaianism is the worship of the earth, and their creed is, is that we will leave, leave, live these lives of sustainability, and we will even leave our homes and our family, if we have to, to live a life for this earth that will help the earth to live a little bit longer. And, we're going to sh- and we need to share this, I don't use the word gospel, but we need to share this message with everybody else and to help them to become part of our circle. It's been, it's, been, it's been encapsulated in 16 languages and signed by people in over 80 countries across the world that we are going to worship the earth first and foremost. Reminds me of Romans chapter 1. Yeah. Worship and serve the creature more than the creator. Yeah. It's where we are. They're talking to the wrong person. Wrong person, but, but if they were talking to an unsaved person, yes. And not only that, the wrong motive. 
I think he is all about getting Job to repent. But he's really, not to borrow the animal term again, he's barking up the wrong tree. I think, isn't it easy to cast stones? He who, we who live in glass houses should not cast stones. The easiest thing to do is look at someone and, and, and to say, well, it's, it's your fault. The lady that came into our, our building on Friday, she knew the answers to everything and whose fault it was. And, she, and if you're on Facebook, you may even have heard about it. You've heard about it. And she's going to come in and see the director and all, all these different things. She's going to let us know about the limbs you want to be remembered. Same way in the first sermon. Do not be those who are so quick to cast blame. And we would, what we call it today? Throw somebody under the what? Under the bus. Don't throw them under the bus. You know, you have a hard time having a bad attitude towards somebody you're praying for. So you don't like the pastor? Start praying for me, and it may change your attitude. It may change the pastor too. Woohoo! That way we're both better, right? Yes. Let's be people who help one another. I think of that lady that Karen mentioned. Karen talked. We talked about the lady. I drove back behind the marathon last yesterday. I saw where the lady who lives in her car back there lives in her car and I don't think the car runs from the look of it and that's where she lives here in Greenup County just 10 minutes from here by the Maristown station there between Arby's and Marathon she lives in her car and has a she has a cart that she pushes everywhere you've seen her around are there people we can help there are if I get my blinders off to what I've got to do in my own little world, not become egocentric, may I see the world as you see it. Let me see the world, dear Lord, as though I were looking through your eyes. Yeah. May we help. May us do that. Let's pray together. Lord, as we think about this text today, we find a Bildad who unloads both barrels at point-blank range at a godly man. A godly man, yes, who has struggled. A godly man, yes, who has said some turned back words. But a godly man, nonetheless. And a man who's going through such terrific pain, we can't even truly even begin to understand that in many ways. Some of us can, others can. I thank you, I have not had to experience that yet. Lord, help us as we come across people who need help, that we will not be ignorant or ignoring of them. And you, as you bring people across our paths, across our paths, may we stop our absolutely important ministry we've got to get done today. And maybe just spend a few moments helping someone else. Help us to live as we want to be remembered. Help us do that this week. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. In closing, uh, the traditional song for this one is 